Hello, this is Catherine welcoming you to the 2374th edition of the Enfield Talking Newspaper, dateline 1st of February 2024. The readers this week are Roz, Denise, Angela, with Dem on the Controls, and me, Catherine. Editing, production and distribution is by this team, Team A. Our title music is Country Rock Polka, composed by Pat Prilly, Fernand Bouillon, Harry Brewer. It's performed by Jean-Jacques Perry and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading come from the Enfield Independent, the Enfield Dispatch and are their copyright. For the week beginning the 5th of February, the sunrise time is 07.31 and the sunset time is 16.57. We have one special notice from Enfield Vision for you this week, and it goes like this. We are a group of visually impaired people determined to improve the environment and to reduce the everyday problems of blind and partially sighted people. We are registered with the Charity Commission as an organisation with the specific aim of promoting the well-being of visually impaired people living in Enfield. We hold a drop-in morning on the third Thursday in each month from 10am to 1pm at Park Avenue Resource Centre, Bushill Park, Enfield. Our exercise classes are running again. And here are the dates for the next few months when you can drop in at Enfield Vision. And they are Thursday the 15th of February, and that is again from 10am to 1pm, Thursday the 21st of March, Thursday the 18th of April and Thursday the 16th of May. Do get in touch with us to share your own news and special announcements. We love to hear from you. And as it happens, we had um, uh, somebody who used to read for the talking newspaper and was actually made president for life get in touch with us this last week. And he sent us a lovely email. So if you're out there, Peter, Peter Sykes, you know who you are, we will be getting in contact with you to discuss all your lovely news and memories and see if we can actually read your email out to our listeners very very interesting archival history and proof positive that Enfield Talking Newspaper was the first in the country (laughs) if you have any comments about the Enfield Talking Newspaper please phone Diane de Jersey on 07899 854 582 she is your listener's representative and will be pleased to help you now Roz will read the lead story Council set to balance budget, but significant risks remain. Enfield Council looks set to balance its 24-25 budget after months of scrambling to find tens of millions of pounds in extra cash. But the Civic Centre's depleted reserves are causing alarm. Finance chiefs confirmed last month they'd found a way to balance the books after facing £46 million worth of financial pressures from inflation, interest rates and soaring homelessness costs. Inflation alone is accounting for £17 million in extra costs for 24-25, while social care for both adults and children will cost an additional £7.9 million. But it's the rise in temporary accommodation costs that have proved the most difficult to control, 
as hundreds of homeless families have been forced to spend many weeks and months holed up in hotels following a collapse in the private rental market. Forecast overspending on temporary housing in the current financial year has reached 19 million out of a total 29 million overspend on the budget and is said to be unsustainable. The council's risk reserve, used to cover unexpected costs, has reduced from from 111 million two years ago to just 41 million pounds now. The council is now budgeting for an extra 7.7 million to be spent on temporary housing in 24-25 with new policies such as moving homeless families out of the southeast of England expected to bring down spending. But in a report published last month, Head of Financial Strategy, Neil Goddard, described homelessness as the single most significant pressure and risk faced by the council. While grant income from central government is increasing again this year, with £3.9 million provisionally allocated to Enfield, Deputy Leader Ergin Erbel told a scrutiny meeting last month that the borough continued to get a raw deal from the Treasury with the second worst funded local authority in London and seventh worst in the country, according to recent studies. And this has been the situation over the past 14 years. The opposition Conservatives have blamed the council's total debt of £1.1 billion for putting extra pressures on the budget. But Councillor Erbel defended the Labour administration's high borrowing strategy and said, we are in debt to invest in our borough. The debt that we do have goes towards maintaining key services, delivering decent homes, decarbonising our council buildings and investing in our parks and green spaces. The majority of our debts are locked in a low interest rates and if the government hadn't sky-marketed interest rate levels, then councils across the country would have been in better financial positions. However, Shadow Cabinet Member for Finance James Hockney told the dispatch, Labour have trashed the council's finances and it will be the residents that feel the consequences of the huge ongoing cuts. They recklessly rushed into massive additional borrowing and Enfield is now the 10th most indebted council in the country. Councillor Hockney claimed the £30 million annual cost of debt repayments would be enough to bring back weekly bin collections 20 times over and added, on the current path Labour have set, it is not a matter of if the council will go bankrupt, but when. The council for budget 24-25 tax will need to be raised by the maximum 5% allowed. Another £3.8 million is being raised from a significant cut to the council tax support scheme for the borough's poorest households. The remaining £17 million needed has been found through a series of new cuts and revenue-raising proposals, with fees and charges rising by an average of 9%. Some charges are rising by more. However, including the borough's garden waste collection services, which will rise from 80 to £100. All these proposals are set to be debated by Council on Thursday the 22nd of February. The impact of the cost of living crisis is heartbreaking and this is an article from Labour councillor Hiran Dalkaya on how rising costs are impacting Brimsdown residents. 
Since being elected as a Brimsdown Ward Councillor in May 2022, I've been working with fellow ward colleagues in engaging with residents through walkabouts, community events and public meetings. It is now clear that the top and recurring issues for local people in my ward relate to children's special educational needs and disabilities, housing and crime issues. Perhaps bigger than anything else, however, have been the challenges everyone is facing because of the cost of living. It has been heartbreaking to hear and see how my residents have suffered as a result of spiralling energy costs and the out-of-control cost of food, mortgages and rent bills. That's why I'm proud that Enfield Council continues to prioritise its hardship fund. While the Conservative government has abandoned families, the Labour administration at Enfield Council is ensuring that we are there to support those most in need. For those grappling with the cost of living crisis, the council has now put together a list of organisations and council support that can help our residents, which you readers can access at, <clears throat> at enfield.gov.uk forward slash services forward slash your, co- your council forward slash cost of living support. It is really disappointing that the government has scrapped the HSF Household Support Fund, despite the fact that a record number of people are turning to councils for help. Last year, Enfield Council received $5.6 million through the HSF Fund to support families in the borough. This funding enabled holiday activities provided and supplied schools, food banks, and covered the cost of school uniforms, school uniforms and gave £500 to each of the 4,000 low-income families in Enfield. Cutting the HFS is a government attack on these vital interventions. Labour councillors in Enfield support the local government association and they call for the government to continue the HFS so councils can continue working with local voluntary and charitable organisations and others to support residents through the continuing cost of living crisis. While the national picture for public services continues to be challenging, I am pleased that locally the Brimsdown Ward have been able to champion and deliver great projects. The council has secured a new SCND school, special educational needs school, called Salmons Brook School invested in Albany Park to enhance our community spaces and improve flood alleviation and renewed existing tennis courts. I know that residents have also welcomed the change of management of the borough's leisure centres, including Albany Leisure Centre, from being fusion-run to coming under the control of a new establishment called Better. I would strongly encourage residents to sign up to the council's newsletter to stay updated on what is happening in our area. The Quarterly Community Action Partnership of Enfield, uh, known as CAPE, um, they have panel meetings run by the police and are also there for an opportunity for residents to keep updated on any crime and policing matters relating to their neighbourhood. I became a counsellor to help support my residents with individual casework as well as bigger projects that will improve our borough. 
if you would like any assistance, you can email me directly or pop along to our weekly counsellor drop-in sessions held at Enfield Business Centre in Hartford Road. As we enter 2024, I look forward to continuing my counsellor duties in the year ahead and wish everyone a healthy and safer new year. Now, you can call to speak to uh, Hivan Dalkea on 0207-038-0182. She also has an email. Uh, the email is counsellor.hivan dot dalkea at enfield dot gov dot uk and now we have an item on worsening crime on an edmonton estate an edmonton council tenant has been left to cope with crime and antisocial behavior on her estate so serious she believes her life is in jeopardy College Gardens resident Yasmin, not her real name, has lived in her flat for 30 years but told the local democracy reporting service there had been issues with crime there for three years and that in the last six months it had got so bad she needed to move. She said there was drug dealing, prostitution, knife crime and sexual assaults happening in the stairwells, lifts and waste storage areas of the block, which overlooks 4th Street in Angel Edmonton. Yasmin said when she reported these incidents to the Metropolitan Police, she was told they can't do much because they were under-resourced and haven't got the manpower, but to contact the council instead. The council, in turn, told her to call the police. Yasmin said the police told her that until there was a serious incident, they couldn't do anything. She alleges her complaints were not taken seriously because she's a black woman. Following inquiries by the local democracy reporting service, Superintendent Chris Byrne, the local policing lead in Enfield, visited Yasmin and left his number for her to use when she needed Superintendent Burns said he wanted to reassure residents in the Angel Edmonton area and the borough generally that his neighbourhood policing team was absolutely committed to tackling crime and antisocial behaviour. An Enfield Council spokesperson said, First and foremost, Enfield Council has a responsibility to protect its residents and staff. We are looking at a multi-agency approach to tackle the reported antisocial behaviour, ASB. No one should feel intimidated in their work or... Sorry, I'll read that again. No one should feel intimidated in their home or place of work. A comprehensive audit of the area has been conducted by the police to identify crime hotspots. This information will be crucial for implementing effective measures to deter criminal activities and to reassure residents. The Community Partnership Team and the Safer Neighbourhoods Team have formed an active partnership which has seen an increase in policing around the estate. We are exploring modifications to main doors to enhance security and restrict unauthorised access. Inadequate soundproofing, blamed for threat to popular pub's premises licence. Developer of flats next to the Fox pub defends construction as even toilet hand dryers disturb residents. 
Soundproofing at a, at a newly built block of flats adjoining a pub has been described by Enfield Council as inadequate after noise complaints led the authority to review the venue's premises licence. More than 2,000 people have signed a petition in support of the Fox in Palmer's Green after it was threatened with losing its licence by the council. The pub in Green Lanes reopened in February last year after a major refurbishment, but last month was forced to pause all live music events following council inspections. Several residents living in the one Fox Lane flats next door made a series of complaints to the council over noise levels, with even hand dryers in the toilets apparently disturbing them. An upcoming sub-licence committee hearing on a date in February will now decide whether the Fox can keep its premises licence. A council spokesperson said... We recognise that music and entertainment can play an important role for pubs and other similar premises. However, we must also be mindful of the impact on local people and take appropriate action if complaints are made. In regard to the Fox, Enfield Council received a considerable number of noise complaints from local residents. Following investigations, noise officers concluded that the premises are currently not suitable for music other than at a background level, as the sound insulation in the building is simply not adequate. A statutory nuisance abatement notice was served and breached. Therefore, Enfield Council has submitted a review application under the Licensing Act 2003 of the Premises Licence to address the issues caused by the music which will be determined by the licensing subcommittee. Residents and pub-goers have rallied round to support the popular pub with blame for the issue, instead being directed at developer Dominus. The Fox has been hosting regular live music nights as well as various other entertainments for the last year. Among the acts to play there have been rock act Redriff. The cover band's drummer Neil Lipman told the dispatch... Following our debut at the Fox, we were offered two further gigs, of which one has unfortunately already been cancelled. I think this is a shame, as in times of economic hardship, it's important for venues like the Fox to demonstrate that they are a community asset and their value to the area. Pub manager James Sharkey added, The Fox is not just an ordinary pub, it is an integral part of our cultural fabric that brings together people from all walks of life through its music events. Stripping away its music licence will not only diminish our rich cultural heritage, but will also lead to economic disadvantages for Palmer's Green. The Dispatch has seen a copy of the application to review the Fox's premises licence, which complaints, with complaints detailed on the application, stating that residents were being kept awake on Friday and Saturday nights because of noise from the pub, and that they could even hear the hand dryers in the toilets. On one occasion last September, lyrics to Sweet Caroline could be heard very clearly and was evident that the audience were also singing along. The dispatch asked the developer of the one Fox Lane Flats, Dominus, about the soundproofing installed when the development was built in 2022. A spokesperson said, 
the One Fox Lane flats were constructed with acoustic insulation fully compliant with performance standards and building regulations. Nevertheless, we empathise with the concerns voiced by the community on both sides. We have been actively engaging in dialogue and taking actions with stakeholders to explore additional measures that could further alleviate this issue. For instance, adjusting the positioning of the Fox Pub's sound system, all with the aim of fostering a harmonious coexistence between vibrant cultural spaces like the Fox and the tranquility of residential living. And if you would like to support the Fox Pub, the petition can be found on change.org. Holocaust Memorial Day commemorated. Enfield Council commemorated Holocaust Memorial Day with a special ceremony. The theme for Holocaust Memorial Day was Fragility of Freedom, reflecting on how freedom is fragile and vulnerable to abuse. The evening event on January the 24th was held at the Dugdale Arts Centre, DAC, in Enfield, where local religious and civic dignitaries were welcomed with a speech from Enfield Council's Deputy Leader, Councillor Ergen Erbel. A film presentation by pupils from Wolfson Hillel Primary School in Southgate was shown and was followed by readings from pupils at Chase Community School and St Anne's Catholic School. The event saw speeches from Rabbi Emmanuel Levy from the Palmer's Green and Southgate Synagogue, Rabbi Rich from Southgate Progressive Synagogue and Marsha Hamza from the, Roman support, from the Roma Support Group Charity. Councillor Erbel said... Our event in the borough provided a meaningful opportunity for local people, children and young people and religious leaders to consider how we can all make our society a better place today, free from hatred, prejudice and discrimination. Residents are also invited to a Holocaust Memorial Day exhibition which is on display in the foyer at DAC. Three cases of artefacts are available to view relating to Greta Rudkin, née Gluber, who came to Britain on the Kinder Transport in 1939. Greta left behind her mother Elsa, a single mother who did not survive the war. Greta was adopted by Olive Donald Rudkin, a schoolteacher and Quaker who lived in England, and after her studies, Greta became a teacher. She also attended Enfield County School for Girls. The display includes letters to her from Greta, written between 1939 and 1970, typed inventory in German of the, the items Greta bought to the UK, and an alien passport, school reports with Greta and photographs of Greta. The artefacts have been loaned to the council courtesy of the Jewish Museum London and will be on display until Sunday, February the 18th. The museum and all exhibition areas at DAC are free of charge, so visit the Dugdale Centre website for opening hours at www.dugdaleartcentre.co.uk forward slash plan hyphen your hyphen visit. Praise for local contributions made by two honour recipients. Food Bank volunteer Goodison Williams has been awarded a British Empire Medal, while Enfield Council's principal educational psychologist Susie Francis has been made an MBE. 
So the two local people included in the New Year's Honours have been praised for their contributions to the Enfield community. Susan Francis, who works for Enfield Council as a principal educational psychologist and strategic lead for children and young people's emotional well-being and mental health, was made a member of the British Empire, she got an MBE medal, for services to children with special educational needs and disabilities, while Goodison Williams, a volunteer, was awarded the British Empire Medal for Services to the Community in Enfield during COVID-19. Abdul Abdullahi, Enfield Council's Cabinet Member for Children's Services, has paid tribute to Susan, better known to her colleagues as Susie. He said, we would like to congratulate Susie for her many years of service to the people of Enfield. Susie has worked with the Enfield Educational Psychology Service for 23 years and has been in contact with hundreds of children and young people and their families in the borough and beyond, making a real difference to their development and emotional well-being. We thank Susie for her contribution to public service and her professionalism and her passion for working with children and young people in our borough. Goodison became a volunteer at the Felix Project in Enfield when he was unemployed, which helped him later secure a full-time job. But when COVID-19 hit, Goodison was able to deliver food parcels directly to vulnerable people's homes. Goodison is also a long-time member of the Gospel Temple Apostolic Church in Ponder's End, which does a lot of work for the community, and it was Pastor Jason Young, who put him forward for the British Empire Medal. It was an unexpected but wonderful thing to receive, Goodison told the dispatch on finding out about the honour. Jason put my name forward and I'm very grateful. It is nice to be recognised. With Gospel Temple, Goodison organised a youth retreat in Suffolk for deprived local children and made possible thanks to his own fundraising efforts. Jason said, with the help of volunteers from within the community, he delivered a fundraising dinner that successfully raised all the finances that he needed to send the local children to the Youth Congress in Ipswich. When the children returned, they said that the retreat gave them confidence in themselves and a desire to want to take up drama classes to prove to improve their self-esteem. Through his work with the Felix Project between 2017 and 2018, Goodison collected over a tonne of surplus food from supermarkets that would otherwise have been thrown away to redistribute to those in need. He also led a fundraising campaign at Asda in Edmonton Green and participated in Christmas carol singing events at Sainsbury's in Enfield, Morrison's in Enfield and Tesco's Ponder's End. Using his own experience of being unemployed between 2016 and 2019, Goodison helped to reach out to other unemployed people and help shape their future and help them to get back to work. He now leads a ministry providing support to men in the community. Pastor Jason added, to think that an ordinary person who lives in relative obscurity 
could be chosen for a British Empire medal has left us all gobsmacked. And now we have Pippa sniffs out illegal vapes. A sniffer dog's sensitive nose led trading standards officials to more than £22,000 worth of illegal tobacco and vapes. Detection dog Pippa helped Haringey Council, working with trading standards and training and handling specialists Wagtail UK, seize thousands of illegal products during visits to businesses in the borough. In her first stop in Wood Green on January the 9th, Pippa searched two adjoining shops, one of which is used as a stockroom. She found 8,140 cigarettes on which duty had not been paid, 10 kilograms of loose shisha tobacco and nine pouches of rolling tobacco. She also discovered 1,500 illegal disposable vapes. Vapes in the UK should not exceed 600 puffs, but the shop offered its customers vapes with up to 10,000. In further inspections, Pippa found 600 more cigarettes on which no duty had been paid, as well as 485 more illegal vapes. Officers also identified medication that could not legally be sold in these premises. In all, Trading Standards seized 8,740 illegal cigarettes, 1,985 illegal disposable vapes, as well as other products from two businesses in the borough, totalling £22,909. Haringey Council says all items were seized by the officers Further investigations will take place and appropriate enforcement action taken. Fresh concerns over energetic heat network. Local environmental campaigners have raised fresh concerns around the viability of Enfield Council's district heating network after plans to extend it to Arnos Grove were withdrawn. Energetic is a council-owned company established to create a 23-kilometre, or 14-mile, network of pipes around the borough that would take waste heat from the incinerator at Edmonton Eco Park and use it to provide central heating for residents. But there are growing concerns over the scheme's cost and environmental benefits. While Arnos Grove already has a satellite energy centre as part of Energetic, plans to connect it to the Enfield-wide network and the incinerator have been scrapped by Transport for London, TfL, according to Vicky Pite, a former Labour councillor who is now an env environmental campaigner, because it would have affected six bus routes. In response, a spokesperson from Energetic said the application was withdrawn due to connection opportunities arising in different areas of Enfield and that it now intends to split the application into several parts with plans to extend to the North Middlesex Hospital area instead. Construction work is currently going ahead on a seven-kilometre section of the heat network connecting Edmonton to Ponders End, but Vicky and fellow campaigner Matt Byrne from Better Homes Enfield have criticised the removal of trees in Cemetery Walk to allow the pipes to be installed. Vicky says, People in existing homes are not going to see benefits, 
but would be paying the price of the disruption caused. What's happening along that walk, cemetery walk, is a beautiful avenue of trees all cut down, she said. This is a massive development. It's 20 years in the making, and yet it's not been in any manifesto. Regarding replanting, the energetic spokesperson claimed they worked closely with local planning, tree specialists and the council's tree officers to deliver and ensure that they minimise the impact of works on trees where they could. In terms of cemetery walk, energetic spokesperson said, We have agreed with the council that four trees will be planted for each one tree felled. There will be at least a one-for-one replacement for each tree along Cemetery Walk, with the remainder of the additional trees being planted elsewhere in the borough, as directed by the council. But Vicky and Matt say they want to pause on the scheme, as there are huge issues with the way the project is being implemented. Houses that were scheduled to use the network were still waiting to be connected, and residents in the meantime had to use gas until they turned on the heat, linking it to the network. Matt questioned why better environmental alternatives could not be used, since this method of district heating, which relies on plastic and other waste being burnt by the incinerator, was no longer state-of-the-art, and better alternatives such as air pumps now existed. The energetic spokesperson disputed the claim, and pointed out the district heating network captured heat that would otherwise be wasted. They clarified this didn't mean they wouldn't consider alternatives in future, but said at present heat pumps were a more expensive solution. But Matt has questioned whether the likely total of £100 million needed to deliver the project can be justified, and is also concerned with the monopoly risk of the council owning its own heat supplier, Energetic says heat networks are a central part of the government's net zero plans, with one in five homes expected to receive heat from a heat network by 2050. The company's spokesperson said heat networks fall under the Office of Gas and Electricity Markets, Ofgem, remit to protect customers by providing similar standards to the gas and electricity markets. Now tune in your taste buds with this article by Neil Lipman as he visits a Turkish restaurant Axela in Palmer's Green which has returned 18 months after it was destroyed by a blaze. A big thank you to all those who have given me feedback on the reviews during the past year as well as recommendations for the new places to eat out and interesting bits of information about moves and changes in the Enfield dining scene. There is plenty of great talent out there opening new places to eat, despite the continuing fallout from the cost of living crisis. However, a recent article in the Financial Times about restaurant closures placed Enfield at the bottom of a table of boroughs with annual closures of 14.5%. Based on my experience of eating in the borough, this doesn't make a lot of sense, as it seems that as one restaurant closes, another often takes its place. Since 2021... I've noted the disappearance of Pizza Express in Winchmore Hill, Romler Gate and Sydney Rocks in Southgate, and the Larder and Winchmore Hill Tandoori in Winchmore Hill. But I've also seen many openings and reopenings, including Turkish restaurant Axola in Palmer's Green, which is back again after being closed following a fire on the hottest day on record in July 2022. 
actually return to Palmer's Green at the end of 2023 on the same site, opposite the Triangle, and you could hear a collective sigh of relief from the local community. They do that thing that sounds deceptively easy, fresh ingredients cooked simply and well presented. It's something of a benchmark with most Turkish cuisine and why it remains a very popular choice for eating out. I already knew about Axler by reputation and recommendation when I first moved to the borough and regret not trying it back then, but I am assured it hasn't lost anything since it was out of action. Axler is all about classic Turkish cuisine, served in a modern setting with murals, faux marble tables, comfortable seating and those decorative wood strips on the counters and bar that seem to be the latest in interior styling. I arrived in tow with my local expert on Turkish cuisine. We shared starters of grilled aubergine with yogurt and feta cheese rolls in phyllo pastry. Complimentary salad and bread appeared at the same time. I think the bread is a good benchmark of Turkish restaurants. The lighter and fluffier, the better. Two dips also arrived, one with yogurt and hot green peppers, unexpected and original, and another of hummus that tasted freshly homemade. The aubergine tasted a bit too cold and under-seasoned for my liking. I think it may have been sitting in a chiller cabinet for too long, but the, the cigara were very good and disappeared quickly. My dining companion decided it was time for a cocktail and ordered a pina colada, while I stuck to a Peroni, which seemed a bit steep at £5, but is where the markups are made now, as restaurants know that diners will pay for a certain amount of food. Our main courses were filleted sea bass and the skin grilled to a crisp and the tangy flavour of salt and spices together with a mixed shish with grilled chicken and lamb. Both were served with rice. I thought the main courses were well prepared and seasoned, good quality lamb and chicken, and the sea bass dish was outstanding and served with the usual yoghurt and hot sauce accompaniments. We finished with Turkish coffee and our bill came to the grand total of £72, including drinks. The service at Axula was friendly and efficient and it's so great to have it back. Nicki Minaj, Doja Cat and 21 Savage are among the big names headlining London's Wireless Festival this year. The annual three-day rap and R&B and hip-hop festival run by Live Nation returns to Finsbury Park in Islington from July the 12th to July the 14th with the first slew of headliners announced and more to be revealed in the coming weeks. Other acts include rapper Future as a special guest on Friday, Jay Huss as the second headliner, alongside 21 Savage on Saturday and an unannounced special guest on Sunday. On Friday, Nicki Minaj is making a return to North London following a huge demand. Minaj has set the tone in music and fashion for over a decade, making history and building her brand along the way. As a songwriter, she's an award winner and a record breaker following the release of her latest chart-topping record, Pink Friday 2. Her headline performance at Wireless comes along appearances from Ice Spice, Sean Paul, Vanessa Bling, V's and Rags Original. On Saturday, along with 21 Savage and other, other acts, Fans can see Asake, Gunner, Sexy Red, Friday, 
Brian Messier, Skill Being and Shally Poppy. Award-winning, multi-platinum-selling artist 21 Savage is one of the most sought-after rappers of his generation and he has scored consecutive number one records with his first two albums, Savage Mode and Savage Mode 2, and a collaboration with Drake. He said, I'm so happy to be returning home to the UK and headlining wireless for the very first time. Then on Sunday, Doja Cat will headline with other acts on the day, including Rema, Tyler, Digger D, Uncle Waffles, Ruger, Tizo, and Touchdown. So general tickets are on sale from Wednesday, January the 31st. Well, that means they're on sale now. General tickets are on sale now. So to buy tickets and find out more about the event, visit... Uh, wirelessfestival.co.uk wirelessfestival is all one word .co.uk and here's some good news for Broomfield House the chair of Broomfield House Trust has welcomed news that the first stage of a lottery funding bid by Enfield Council to memorialise the historic house has been successful The award from the National Lottery Heritage Fund for the Unlocking Broomfield Park for the Community project means the council can now develop detailed plans. It was announced in September 2022 that the council was submitting a bid for lottery money after several other attempts to repair and restore the burnt-out shell of Broomfield House failed to attract the money needed. Now deemed to be beyond repair, the historic house will instead be demolished and memorialised, while other improvements will help reinvigorate Broomfield Park in Palmer's Green, including landscaping and a restoration of the park's unique Baroque water garden. The project development funding of £532,490 will allow the council to progress its plans to apply for a full National Lottery grant of £3,672,231 at a later date. Colin Younger, chair of Broomfield House Trust, which has been fighting to save the building, told Dispatch... It's very good news. It will break a logjam we've been stuck with for many years. We're sad that it's not been possible to restore or renovate the house, but that was clearly not going to be fundable. Broomfield House dates back to the 16th century and was originally owned by John Broomfield, a leather merchant. The house has been used for various purposes over the centuries but remained derelict following a series of fires in 1984, 1993, 1994 and 2019. The building is surrounded by scaffolding with more than 80% of its historic fabric lost. Elements of its interior were saved and are currently in storage. The lottery project has been developed by the council in collaboration with the Friends of Broomfield Park, Broomfield House Trust, the Enfield Society, Southgate District Civic Voice and councillors who helped steer and shape the application. Chinelo Aniawu, the council's cabinet member for Open Spaces, Culture and Local Economy, said... 
Enfield Council is committed to nurturing our arts, heritage and creative sectors to connect people through culture. During the development phase of this project, the Council will work with the local community to produce a shared vision for the memorialisation of Broomfield House and its integration back into the historic park. For too many years, the shell of the house has stood with little purpose and no connection to the people who use the park. This project will finally address the issue of the house and reinvigorate the area while acknowledging its importance to the people of Enfield. Local people will be encouraged to get involved in a range of activities including heritage and nature-themed health and well-being schemes, a community archaeology sorry, archaeology dig, a mural hoardings project and engagement with young people in decisions about the park. Stuart McLeod from the National Lottery Heritage Fund said, we believe that investing in heritage means investing in the community it belongs to. It has the power to make our communities better places to live, bringing a sense of pride of place and this project in Enfield is no exception. It will not only see this Grade 2 listed park brought back to life, but also engage with its community in new ways. We look forward to working with the team to progress their plans to apply for a full grant at a later date. And now time for some sports news, beginning with the Ignatians. Try bonus point softens blows for Ignatians after big loss. Enfield Ignatians, despite suffering a resounding 68-20 to 20 defeat at third-place Chiswick, did at least collect a losing bonus point for their troubles, writes John Landy. And they had only managed to score four tries in a match once previously this season in the 53-39 defeat of Hampstead in September. Ignatians traded on equal terms with the hosts in the first half and were a bit unlucky to be 17-10 adrift at the break against very pacey opponents. They opened the scoring after a planned move went awry, only for Ewan Rennie to come to the rescue with a barnstorming run as the Chiswick defence parted. A loose kick invited the Chiswick equaliser, but Ignatians successfully responded by attacking the wide channels and excellent interplay involving Phelim Ginty and fullback Tom Buckland exposed the home defence, with the latter forcing his way over in the corner. Chiswick feasted on turnover ball to draw level, just when Ignatians threatened to claim a third try after another excellent run from man of the match Ewan Rennie. The visitors fell victim to the sucker punch of a breakaway try on the 4G pitch. The hosts opened the scoring in the second half, but the visitors responded and having won a penalty, drilled the ball to the corner and unleashed a barrage at the Chiswick line. Nations worked the ball through multiple phases via their forwards and when Chiswick infringed again, scrum half Tom McDougall's successful tap, tap and go, ushered in try number three. Now, within nine points, it should have been just the tonic that Ignatians craved, but it was the prelude to the worst spell in the game, as a combination of fatigue, lack of focus exposed their defence frailties as they leaked four soft tries in a madcap 20-minute spell. 
Ignatians claimed a fourth try by executing a rehearsed line-out move, primarily involving Ewan Rennie and Matt Georgiou, before the former spotted a gap in the Chiswick defence and plunged his way over. It was no less than the visitors deserved, but one must also credit Chiswick for the unrelenting nature of their attacking game, which ushered in two further tries, and the referee who let the game flow. Head coach and fly-half Jack Wilson said, I was really pleased with the first 40 minutes as we stayed in the fight and scored some good tries. However, I was less so with a very bad 25-minute spell in the second half, although we did eventually rally by claiming our fourth try. Ignatians still have eight games in which to rescue their season and visit Datchworth immediately above them in the table on Saturday. Tailor made for Enfield Town. It isn't every day that a non league footballer remains at the same club for over five years, becomes captain, then moves to his closest rival and plays his very first game against his previous club. Understandably, therefore, Taylor McKenzie admits it wasn't an easy decision when an offer came in just before Christmas to join Enfield Town, make that rejoin from Chesant, just up the A10, where he was almost part of the furniture. An experienced, physically imposing defender, Taylor played 35 games for Town during the 17-18 campaign and remembers his time there fondly but he agonised over whether to go back, having helped Chesant to two promotions, ironically one of them at Enfield's expense, and one relegation. But non-league players are just as ambitious as those higher up the pyramid, and with Enfield on course for the playoffs, Taylor just had a hunch he might be the right call. This timing probably wasn't the best, given that my first game just happened to be against my old club, he told the dispatch, but I probably only have a few years left in the bank, and I saw this as a great opportunity. I wasn't really thinking of moving, but it made a big difference that I already knew some of the Enfield players. Sometimes you have to be a little bit selfish, and that look after number one, and that means another push for success. It hurts to hear some of the things that came out of Chesant, but over time, hopefully, they will see my side of it. You very rarely get players in non-league who stay in one place as long as I did. Of course, it shows loyalty, but sometimes you can get complacent, and it felt I was right to step out of my comfort zone. Although Enfield Town has a very different club in terms of personnel from his first spell, the fan base remains just as strong, if not stronger. It's renowned all over the non-league, said Taylor. Enfield have always had a reputation for a loud following. Not only that, I believe fan-owned clubs are the way forward. It's like a mini-democracy, especially at a non-league club, that it's so much part of the community. Enfield Ignatian's rugby player dies aged 24, sadly. Jonathan Landy pays tribute to rising star whose sudden death has rocked the club. A dark shadow hangs over Enfield Ignatian's RFC after Lucas Yoxhall, one of the team's brightest young talents, unexpectedly passed away this month. His untimely death comes as a huge shock to all concerned, particularly as the 24-year-old's best playing days were still ahead of him. Uh, A product of the club's youth system, he was first capped at first-team level 
during the 2019-2020 season before going on to become a very effective flanker, noted for his ability to break the gain line and make thumping tackles. Lucas continued his rise up the ranks at senior level and his players' player of the year accolade at second team level served notice that his elevation to first team rugby was only a matter of time. He enjoyed a particularly fruitful 2021-2022 season, which yielded eight league tries for the talented loose forward and occasional three-quarter, with the highlight being a memorable hat-trick in the 29-14 win over Hackney. This season, Lucas got on the score sheet in the 53-39 win against Hampstead in September, but we could never have imagined that his appearance in the 15-9 loss against Hackney at Spring Hill on the 9th of December would be his last for the club, which he loved. Ignatian's head coach, Jack Wilson, said Lucas was not only an exceptional rugby player, but he was also a very kind soul and he was always a pleasure to be around. He will be sorely missed by everyone and on behalf of everyone at the club, I would like to extend our condolences to his father Mark and all his family. Lucas was symptomatic of the homegrown talent produced at the club. In our ladies' section, Neve Gallagher recently broke into Ireland's under-20s rugby squad. Tom Mann, head coach of the Enfield Ignatians girls' section, said, The club responded to a call from the Irish selectors who were seeking, Ireland's, well, who were seeking Ireland-qualified players. Neve attended two training camps in Ireland before receiving the good news that she'd been accepted. Neve had variously played for the Enfield Tigers under-18s, the Middlesex under-18s and the Saracens under-18s ladies team and all at the club are delighted for her. Uh, There is a really beautiful picture of the late Lucas Yoxall with his Players Play of the Year trophy which he's holding, standing proudly with a beautiful smile, well turned out and uh, we're very sorry for his loss. And now to finish with some football news. A loss to Eastmian League Premier Division leaders Hornchurch has happened to many teams this year, but Enfield Town boss Gavin McPherson felt they could have got more from it. Sam Youngs had equalised with a penalty 12 minutes into the second half, cancelling out a Femi Akinwande spot kick only for Sean Scannell to bag a winner five minutes later. And had it not been for a few lapses, the boss felt it might not have been a 2-1 loss. Speaking on the club's website, McPherson said, We came up against a very mean defence, but I was really pleased with the application in the second half. Sadly, we contributed to our own downfall. The last six league games have yielded just five points and although they are still fourth, the loss to the Urchins was representative of those last half dozen matches. The boss said things could be very different in terms of the last few games but sadly they're not. At the moment the boys don't seem to be functioning as they were in the early part of the season. 
Maybe they've lost a little bit of confidence, I'm not sure, but we need to pep ourselves up. The game had started positively enough when a cross from Mickey Parcell... Sorry, I'll read that bit again. The game had started positively enough when a cross from Mickey Parcell's low cross was met by the head of Young's, only for Noah Phillips to push it against the post before Quentin Monville completed the clearance. Rhys Forster held a Ryan Scott header at the other end, but there was little else in the way of big chances. That was until a handball gave Hornchurch a penalty and Akin one day struck it away. They came out stronger after the interval though and after Youngs had hit a free kick straight at Phillips, he redeemed himself from 12 yards after another handball award. The equaliser galvanised town but before they had a chance to truly snatch the momentum they fell behind again. James Richmond's challenge on Ollie Muldoon earned him a booking, but not before Muldoon's sublime pass found Sean Scannell, who ran on and rolled the ball into the corner. Parcell, playing against his former club, had to go off briefly to have a facial wound attended to, but on his return, Enfield came within a whisker of levelling. Marcus Wiley did well to keep the ball in play and from his cross, Young's was inches off target. McPherson tried to freshen things up with a series of substitutions but Hornchurch were able to deal with everything Enfield could throw at them and even six minutes of stoppage time was unable to change the outcome. Well, we have reached the end of our programme for this week. Thank you for listening. So, from the team of Roz, Angela, Denise, Catherine and Dem on the controls, it's... Goodbye! Please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet. Put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible in readiness for the next edition. You can now also listen to our podcast by searching for Enfield Talking Newspaper on your favourite podcast app. Or listen to us on your smart speaker by saying, Play Podcast Enfield Talking Newspaper. Don't forget you can call Diane de Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with Enfield Talking Newspaper on 07899 854 582. The Enfield Talking Newspaper will be with you again in one week's time. <laughs>